And I think I would say the acceptance of suffering. I mean, for me, that has been a big part of it. The more I resist and push back from suffering, the more that I suffer. The more that I accept it as part of my life, the more it almost becomes neutral. Welcome, everybody, to the Resiliency Theory Podcast. I'm Ashley Carson. Join in my journey as we discuss resiliency, values, and leadership with friends, peers, and leaders. Welcome, everybody, to the Resiliency Theory Podcast. I'm Ashley Carson. I'm really excited to have with me today Lisa Salento. She does business development in clinical research. Lisa, I'd love to have you share just a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Ashley. Um, I'm excited to talk to you today um, and, and just, you know, exchange, exchange stories and conversations. So, um, so you mentioned I work in business development and clinical research. Um, I live in North Carolina. Um, I would say probably one of the things that defines me most is my love of travel. I mean, anytime I can go somewhere, new, new place, new culture, new people, um, you know, we've especially as a family traveled out West a lot the last couple of years and have just really enjoyed that time. Nice. Nice. That's mm-hmm. great. Well, uh, Lisa, let's just dive right into the questions. So I'd love to hear from you. What are your top three to five values? So I think the, um, one that comes to mind first is I would definitely say like a hardworking, hard work ethic. Um, and I think that goes beyond just professional work but definitely a strong work ethic. Um, and then I would say maybe my top other two values. Um, I'm going to say adventure. I don't know if that's a value, but um, I'm going to make it one, I guess, for the purpose of this conversation, an adventurous, mm-hmm. an adventurous spirit. Mm-hmm. And then I, I'll say um, loyalty. That's great. I love the, um, I love the adventurous spirit. Uh, just yeah. a smile. I think it's a big part of who I am. Yeah, that's great. Well, when you think about those values, so hard work, um, the ethics of hard work and, and beyond, you know, your professional career, um, adventurous spirit and loyalty, where do they come from? Do you, like if you could pinpoint the origin or possibly a story or an experience of where those values came from? I would say um, the kind of work ethic and, you know, hard hardworking piece, um, I would definitely give credit to coming from both of my grandmothers on my mother's side and my dad's side, um, two very different women. My mom's grandmother grew up in a um, small town in North Carolina. She grew up on a, a cotton farm um, and worked in a mill. And just um, even now, I mean, she's 92 years old and she still chops wood, you know, so just really hard worker her whole life. And, you know, I can remember when I would, was younger going to visit her because I grew up in Florida. Uh, she was always just so proud of me and, and proud of how hard I worked in school and just really wanted that education for me. Um, and I would often think of her when I was going through a hard time or having a hard moment. I can remember at work one time just being frustrated and I thought of her, I was like, you're literally in an air conditioned office. <laughs> and I just thought of her like all those years working that those hard jobs that she worked. Yeah. Um, and then my other grandmother, you know, had a very different life, um, but but still um, a lot of um, a lot of loss. You know, a lot of uh, pain, and she just kept going through it mm-hmm. and adjusting. And um, you know, in some ways, her life was very privileged. 
Um, but in a, a lot of ways, it wasn't. And neither of them let life stop them. They just didn't. The adventurous spirit I'm going to claim as my own. <laughs> I think that was just the way I was born. I always, even as a kid, I can remember um, wanting to travel. And uh, when I was growing up, Oregon Trail was like huge, you know, the, yeah. the, the computer game. Yeah. And so I remember they did this thing where you could like go ride the Oregon Trail, like literally rent a wagon and go. And I wanted to go so bad. And my parents were like, you are crazy. We are not doing that. And, but just those sorts of things. I mean, I've traveled all over the world. I um, went to Asia when I was a, when I was 19, I enrolled in college for a semester and then had this opportunity to go be a nanny in Singapore. So I withdrew and went and spent six months over there. And then um, it was amazing. I mean, being 19 years old and, you know, I lived with this awesome family that American family and um, we traveled all over Southeast Asia. They had twin boys, so they needed help with the boys. Yeah, incredible. And I didn't realize at the time, like, I just kind of thought everybody did stuff like that, you know? And then I spent my time in college. Like I went back and forth several times uh, to Europe and did some study abroads. And, um, and then like I mentioned to you in the beginning, I mean, definitely traveling and new adventures. I'm really close with my sister and her family and uh, my brother-in-law and sister both love to travel. So we've kind of passed that on to their kids and, you know, any chance we get, I mean, we went to Banff out in Canada last year and, mm-hmm. Um, we've been out West several times. And, um, so I think that adventurous spirit is something the five of us all share, but, you know, I think I've done a lot and I, and I necessarily, like I was saying to you, didn't realize how unusual that was. I kind of thought that, Oh, everybody travels and everybody, but I mean, I've been to a lot of places in the world and, um, I've just, as I've gotten older, realized that that's something that was unique to me Mm -hmm. and for me. Um, and, you know, did study abroad in Spain where I had to like go to the university and speak Spanish. And, um, so just out of my comfort zone kind of puts me in my comfort zone, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I love to hear like new stories and, you know, it's, it's like the more, uh, in, in my job right now, I, I interact internationally. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I find the more, the more, the more we, we talk, the we're so similar, you know, it doesn't really matter. The stories are the same no matter what part of the world. Yeah, it's, it is so interesting. Um, a couple things that I wrote down that I really, that really stood out to me that you had said was how your grandmothers didn't let life stop them. Mm-hmm. And how powerful is that of a statement, right? And to, to, to have them as your role models and mm-hmm. for you to, in, in those moments of adversity or challenge, think about that and, and use that maybe that's like your own mantra. It sort of like was running through my own head thinking about just how I, how I show up as an individual and what's important to me. And I was like, I kind of want to steal that as my own personal mantra because it's really cool. I really appreciated that. Oh yeah. And then the other thing is like this, with this adventurous spirit is being, I, I, I sort of summarize it in my own words. So I'll acknowledge that, but being comfortable with the uncomfortable, right? So like mm-hmm. pushing yourself into these different boundaries, relationships, experiences, Mm -hmm. even if you're not comfortable with it, and then what you can take from that or learn from Mm -hmm. that. I would agree with that. And I would say, actually, when I look at my life, my life is very non-traditional. It's always been very Um, non-traditional. And that used, and at different times, that was hard. Um, But it's something that I've become very comfortable with. You know, my story is just different. Tell me more about that when you say it's um, been a little non-traditional. 
Well, I just think like um, in my 20s, for example, I, I was still very much pursuing adventures. And so, um, you know, moving around and, and trying to live in different places and experience different cities, different places of the country. Um, I wasn't necessarily looking to settle into a career or settle into a particular place. And then, you know, I never got married and had kids. So that's obviously, that's a little different. I mean, most people get married and have kids and, um, you know, that's a part of their life and a part of their story. So, you know, there hasn't been that kind of, I would say, um, architecture to my life Mm -hmm. that, um, that I think is more common. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think what's so fascinating about all of us is we each have different life experiences and different perspectives, and that really supports who we are and um, builds on our character of who we are as people, you know, and, and not, no two people have the same life or have the same right. architecture. I really liked that word. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about loyalty. Where did that value come from? Yeah. So I would say that probably came from something as a result of what I feel like has been shown to me. I mean, I feel like I have several just really loyal people in my life. Um, so I think as a result of having experienced loyalty, so, um, genuinely it's something that, um, I value and have certainly appreciated and something that I try to bring into my relationships. Um, I would say that, you know, within my inner circle and people that I'm really, really close with there, they can really, um, there's really nothing they could do to be honest, um, to make me think less of them or change our friendship. Um, it's just sort of like once people cross into that space for me, I mean, it's like ride or die. (laughs) (laughs) And I think, but I think I've experienced that. I mean, you know, people have been very loyal to me. I mean, I'm I'm sure we're going to talk about it later, but you know, I've been, I've been sick for several years and, um, I would actually kind of add that back into a not my non-traditional life. Mm-hmm. I would say, you know, I got sick for the first time I was 32 mm-hmm. and, and that's just not what people are doing at that mm-hmm. stage. A lot of my experiences, people don't experience until they're in their sixties or seventies. Mm-hmm. And I've just experienced it earlier. And so I think because I've had so much happen, people have really had an opportunity, um, to be loyal to me. I mean, I can't do as much, you know, as I used to and haven't been able to for a long time. And so when you, when you can't keep up and you can't like bring to the table, you know, all the things you used to, and people are still there with you. (laughs) I mean, not only is it very humbling, um, but it makes you want to bring that back and bring that into your relationships like to be that person. I mean, I would say it was something that was shown to me. And so it's something that I try to reflect back to others. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Well, Lisa, let's take a minute. Um, I'd love it if you're comfortable, maybe just sharing a little bit about your, your story. And, mm-hmm. um, and you started, you started going there a little bit, but I, I'd love, I'd love for, for you to share as much as you're comfortable with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, as we kind of, you know, talk about resiliency and your values and and if you wouldn't mind just sharing some of that. Yeah. And I mean, I'm very open to don't feel like you can't ask questions. I mean, (laughs) it's, it's not like private for me at all. Um, 
so, you know, I mentioned I got, I've been sick for several years. So the first time was, I was around 32 and I, um, had a really rare, um, blood disease. It was called, it's called hyper eosinophil syndrome or HES. And, um, at the time there wasn't a lot known about it. So I was incredibly sick for a year, just trying to get a diagnosis and no one could diagnose me. And so that kind of brought in a different level of being sick, you know, um, I, cause I definitely got to a point where I was kind of not functioning anymore. I was, I was that sick. Um, and so we did, um, two rounds of therapy and then they didn't work. And I actually enrolled in my, in a clinical trial for the first time. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that worked. Mm-hmm. And so I still get that treatment now. That's still something that I get. Um, but that spanned, um, it, it probably was over a couple of years mm-hmm. and, and I was very, very sick during that time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was very, very difficult. And again, like I said, just being so young, you know, that's not what your peer group is doing. I mean, it's certainly not what I thought I would be doing. My career was kind of just starting to take off at that point. I was in recruiting. Yeah. Um, I was doing executive recruiting and I loved it. And, you know, it was kind of like everything was just coming together. Yeah. And, um, and it was just like this huge thing. Um, so we kind of got through that. And then um, my sister was diagnosed with breast cancer and she was only 31. She's younger than I am. And, um, you know, I, I was kind of just coming off of being sick. And so I knew what she had in front of her and, um, she had two kids at the time. She still has two kids, but at the time her kids were five and two, a little boy was five and a little girl was two. And it's funny because I remember saying then, I remember saying, gosh, they're going to look so little when we look back on pictures. And I have to tell you, they do. Like when we look back on pictures, they just, they look so little. Yeah. And, um, I just couldn't leave her to be honest. Like I remember the day that we found out, um, I went into work the next day and I don't even think I was in work for 15 minutes and I just, um, packed up my laptop and I, I had, you know, I said to my boss, I'm like, I am so sorry because they have been so amazing to me, like working through me being sick and being flexible and letting me work from home. So I worked through that entire time. Um, and I said, "I, I just can't, I just remember packing up my laptop and I remember just saying to him, I am so sorry. Mm-hmm. Like I am, I just remember saying like, I am so sorry, but I have got to go home. And, um, you know, I have a wonderful brother-in-law and I wanted him to keep working because I yeah. knew what an outlet that would be for him. Mm-hmm. And, um, I didn't want to take that from him, but the truth is I just couldn't leave her. Like, that's really what it came down to. I just couldn't leave her. And so I took six months off. And like I said, I, I don't have children, never been yeah. married. Um, you know, I was single, <laughs> I was like having fun. Like, you know, at this point I was feeling better. So just like kind of a great social life. And, um, and I took care of her and her kids and her family. And we call that my internship. <laughs> <laughs> and we do joke that my brother-in-law was my first marriage That's because, funny. um, I remember, uh, you know, like being in the kitchen together and cooking dinner. And it was just so awkward. We were like in each other's space and, Like I had never coexisted with people at that level Mm -hmm. Um, and just kind of the the constantness of it, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, like everybody's always hungry and you just fed them. And I, I didn't understand like, how can you be hungry again? And, you know, I had never experienced laundry like that. And that all sounds silly, but it wasn't. And carpool, I can just remember going to carpool and being like, what is this right now? 
And um, one of my favorite stories about that though is, so I took six months off. And then um, when I went back to work, I remember my last night, you know, with my sister at her house, my brother-in-law and I were just like totally in our little groove. Like we Mm -hmm. had just figured out, you know, how to move around each other. And, um, but during that time, unfortunately, it was really awful. Actually, I was diagnosed with cervical cancer and yeah, it was really awful. (laughs) I mean, it really was. Um, so that was about six years ago and, um, you know, it was, they caught it early. So I had a surgery and, um, but it was, it was really difficult. Like I had to walk Mm -hmm. in and, um, tell my sister that it was cancer and she was literally on the sofa with pain pills. She had just had her mastectomy or double mastectomy. Mm -hmm. And it was just really awful. I mean, she had, she had no hair, you know, because she had just been through chemo. And she had just gotten out of surgery. And I remember having to tell her and my brother-in-law, and it was like, how much more can we take? Like, mm-hmm. I remember feeling like that, like how much more? Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I did the surgery. It was a simple surgery. Um, and then I was back at work and, you know, we kind of thought um, that that was it. Cause it had just been so much, you know, and you kind of think there's like a quotient for suffering right? and um, a quota, I should say, not a quotient quota. (laughs) And that kind of seemed like it. Mm -hmm. Um, and then unfortunately, um, a couple years after that, I think it was about two and a half years after that, we found out my cancer came back. And so that was two and a half years ago. And, um, and I've been in treatment consistently. Wow. Lisa, Mm -hmm. let's just take, I want to take a moment to just breathe and offer some space. So that's a lot. Um, and and how courageous of you to go and and support your sister and be there for the family and and just right on the sort of the heels of what you had experienced mm-hmm. and the, and then to to be diagnosed again um it's a lot uh and i and and i imagine it just it, it it feels, it felt like a lot and it probably feels like a lot. Just- it does. Mm-hmm. It, it did. Um, and, you know, it's been in the last two and a half years. I mean, there's sometimes I would say it hasn't been as bad as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, right now I'm currently in a place where it's been pretty consistent. So, you know, that wears me down when I get breaks and feeling good, you know, it's more manageable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm really, uh, first of all, thank you. Um, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, And I don't, I mean, I'm not, I've not experienced that personally, so I can only imagine, you know, just the sort of weight that has been riding on your shoulders. So I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing that. Um, I'd love to go back to something that you said um, that I was, it was sort of running through my head and then you said it yourself, like how much more can we take? Mm. I, I want to know like, what, uh, like, what did you do or how did you persevere? How are you persevering through all of that? Is, is it like a mental practice or is it you were on autopilot? Like, I just love to understand if there was something to help you. It's a really great question. Um, so 
I think the first thing I would say I did is um, when it came back this the second time, like I, I didn't handle it. I wasn't handling it well. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was devastated. Yeah. Um, and so one of the things I did was I started getting acupuncture and um, that has really just been very life-changing for me. Um, I knew I needed help. Like I knew that I did not have the skills to cope with this. And so we found somebody here in Raleigh and he does um, life coaching and acupuncture. And I go like clockwork every two weeks. Nice. And so I would say the way I coped with it was I had to develop completely new coping skills. I, mm-hmm. I didn't have them. You know, the way that I had always coped and handled things before was sort of just to be strong and plow through it. Yeah. And, and I would use the word get through it. Hmm. and just get to the other side. But anything I had ever been through before had a finish line yeah. and had a light at the end of the tunnel. And, um, you know, this time it doesn't. Right. And um, I would say I've completely changed the way I handle things. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I still struggle, you know, obviously with it. But um, before I would have said that I really fought. Like no matter what it was, I was fighting. Like Mm -hmm. I was fighting for an education. I was fighting for opportunities. I was fighting to travel. I was fighting for, you know, career growth. Um, and I wouldn't say I do that anymore. I would say I more so try to come from a place of surrender and Mm -hmm. not fighting because I've learned that when I'm fighting and when I'm pushing and when I'm going after what I want or what I think should happen, um, it really just exhausts my body and my body can't sustain that. Mm-hmm. So I've had to really change. I mean, you know, down to, it, it might sound silly, but like taking a nap in the middle of the day. I mean, you would think by now that would not be hard, but it's still difficult for me mm-hmm. to admit that, you know, I'm tired. My body's tired. And I'm like, gosh, you haven't even done anything today. Um, but an act of that surrender is to go lay down or, you know, I would say that a lot of the things I wanted for my life, mm-hmm. I've had to let go. Mm-hmm. And I think in that letting go, I've also understood that I don't know what's best. And, and I think that that idea that I don't know what's best um, and also goes into my belief that I've developed over these last couple of years of working, you know, in my counseling with, with the acupuncture and everything is I really do believe we see such a small picture of it. And so, you know, we want to say, oh, I want this part, like the part that makes me feel good and the part that makes me successful, but I don't want this part, you know, of the suffering and the pain and, and, um, and I just don't think it works like that. Like who's to say which way is better? I mean, we don't know. Right. And so I think the more that I can grasp onto, we, we don't know Mm -hmm. and we know a small piece. um, And that sometimes for me, it's, it's the learning comes in just being where I'm at right in that moment. Mm -hmm. That's how I would say I've gotten through it. But it hasn't been like this fight, fight, fight. Um, that didn't work for me. Right. And it hasn't been this like mental game of like getting my head on straight. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been like that. The 
the more that I can sort of lean back and fall into it and just sort of ride the wave of it, um, the better that's how I've been able to keep going. Mm -hmm. Understanding that along the way, I will have to let go of things that I want. Yeah. I, I want to, I want to, um, pause on that last statement because it, it's, uh, sorry, I have a lot of thoughts going through my head. So I was like wanting to articulate my question. Um, just thinking about your experience, Lisa, and trying to honor how, how tough it has been for you. Um, one of the things that as you were explaining this and writing the wave and use the word surrender a couple of times. And I just, I was sort of personally struck by that and wondering, uh, curious how it makes you feel this concept of surrendering, um, knowing that one of your personal values is around having an adventurous spirit. Mm. Well, I think they're probably very connected. (laughs) I mean, I, this, I, I use the word journey I've been on is never one I would have chosen. Right. You know, and I definitely don't feel like, I mean, I've heard some people say they would do it again because they made it who made it, who they made them, the experience made them who they were. Um, I felt that way up until the point when my cancer came back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when after my cancer came back, honestly, it just seemed cruel. Yeah. So I don't even know that I can say, oh, it's all been worth it. <laughs> I don't know that I feel that way. Um, yeah. I think I think it's, I think it's, 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 it's connected. I don't know if I've ever thought about it really until you bring that up, but it's the idea we mentioned in the beginning of being trying to be comfortable in the uncomfortable and in the unknown and the unknown and and really just, um, you know, when you're so sick for so long Mm -hmm. um, and it just kind of becomes like part of your life Mm -hmm you, you do experience some really beautiful things. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, you know, people being there for you. Um, I can honestly say in all these years, like I said, it's been nine years total. I've never needed anything. Mm-hmm. And that is insane to me that I can say that, yeah. that I have, I have never once like reached for something and not had it. Mm-hmm. I think this is just maybe an adventure that was chosen for me. And I have tried, I mean, in the, in the beginning, you know, when we, when it came back, um, I made two commitments to myself. Um, one was to suffer well. And then the second one was, um, I didn't want to be sad all the time because I was like, if I'm sad all the time, what's the point? And so, you know, in the last two and a half years, Ashley, we have had some great adventures. Yeah. I mean, we went, like I mentioned, to Canada. We went to Banff. We went yeah. all around the national parks. Yeah. We went to Glacier. We went to Utah. Um, we went to Sedona. You know, little things we've done that are very different. Like with my niece, she's nine now. You know, when she was little, my sister and I would always say, oh, we can't wait for her to get older and we'll take her to the spa. Yeah. Well, so now you don't do that. Like now you don't wait. Yeah. So we took her to Sedona and went to this amazing spa. I mean, I think she was six. Yeah, and so, so that's cool. something that, yeah, that's something that we do. Like we do the girls trips. Now we do the spa trips now. Yeah. Um, you know, with my nephew, he's um, 12 now, but he's, he's really into sports of course. And mm-hmm. so 
you know, one of my favorite memories with him was last year, he was over at my house and we happened to see, you know, it's big basketball here in North Carolina. And we happened mm-hmm. to see that that day UNC and NC state were playing yeah. at the two big rival colleges here. And um, it was like one o'clock in the afternoon. And I was like, let's go. And we bought the best tickets. <laughs> we had the mm-hmm. best time. And so, you know, I, I don't know that we would have done those things. I think, I think that when time seems um, like there's a lot of it, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, we'll do it later. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. would say the way we've been living really honestly for the last nine years, specifically for the last three um, is, well, can we do it now? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You know, um, and I was getting a little nostalgic as you were talking about that. My uh, previous wife, she had Hodgkin's disease when um, she was 17 and um, Mm -hmm. finishing her uh, last year of high school, um, overcame that. Uh, At the same time, her mom was diagnosed with breast cancer Mm -hmm. and unfortunately, um, didn't overcome breast cancer. And, mm. and so we, her and I sort of lived by this mantra. Mm. Um, and I, I give, I give her a lot of credit for this because I think it's what has reinforced my um, spontaneous spirit. Um, mm. We used to think, why wait to go to Hawaii or mm. why wait to go to that fancy restaurant or yep. you, know, you, you live life once. And so you have to really harness it and, and create the space and have fun. And and I always said to her, well, if we're saving for retirement and whatever we have left over, we can go have this fun money. And because, because honestly, we just didn't know what time looked like. And, and right. her grandmother had died of lung cancer and her mother died of breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she herself had Hodgkin's disease, which then often leads to um, a later reoccurrence of mm-hmm. cancer. And so it's just, it, it, it was very important to me. So I appreciate you harnessing that, that fun and that um, spontaneity with your niece. And just, you know, I, I loved how you said you want to suffer well. And yeah. I was thinking, what an amazing mental reframe, right? Like you, you have been suffering and you have been struggling and, and it probably at times feels completely unfair, but for you to put it in this, mental reframe of you, you know, the adventure is chosen for you and, and, and knowing that and like acknowledging that, then how can you go and still suffer? Well, like I, I was just sitting with that thinking, gosh, how incredible of a, of a sort of mental reframe and how you, you've thought about it to help you to navigate the pain and, and the challenges that you're going mm-hmm. through. So I, I love that you said that. And it, and it leads me actually, um, to just my thoughts around resiliency. So Mm -hmm. my podcast and what I love to learn in these conversations um, is just this concept of values and, and resiliency. And is there any correlation? And, Mm -hmm. and Lisa, I've been super fascinated with resiliency for a really long time. Um, I grew up in a pretty adverse childhood. Um, There was certainly um, a lot of challenges that me and my sister uh, had to navigate around and and really rely on each other to take care of each other. And, you know, I, I had my son um, right out of high school unplanned, which changed the trajectory of my college career and, mm-hmm. and all sorts of things along the way. 
And, and so it's, it's really interesting to me. I've been wondering, is it innate? Can it be learned? Do mm-hmm. we all have some form of resiliency? And like, where is it coming from? And right. so I'd love to, I, I'd love to kind of pivot a little bit and ask you, like, what do you, what's your definition or, or how would you maybe define the topic of resiliency? Well, that's why I was fascinated with, um, and I've read everything <laughs> that you've done because I'm also fascinated by that idea myself and you know, what, what, how, why can some people kind of go through just these extraordinary circumstances and, and get through them? Um, so I'm, I'm very fascinated by it. Um, you know, part of me doesn't even want to say this, but part of me thinks it is innate that there's something innate just in us that some yeah. people have. Um, but I don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> I wish that I didn't think that way, you know? <laughs> um, but that's kind of my gut response to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it can be learned in the sense of, I think there's a, I think there's a lot of letting go in life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think people kind of in a variety of circumstances and situations when obstacles come up, they really kind of clamp down, you know, and try to hold on to the, to whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really think what I've learned over the years is just, it's really a process of letting go. Yeah. And people who can let go of, you know, either a dream or a goal or an expectation or an experience. Um, but almost with the idea of, it doesn't even have to be like Pollyanna, like, oh, there's something better. <laughs> right. But it's not even like that, like, oh, there's something better. It's just, you know what, that one wasn't meant for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. and like being okay with that, like this, this idea that, we get in our head, things have to be a certain way and we have to have certain things. And if we don't, that means something, um, isn't true. And so I think there's a connection with resiliency with people don't attach to their circumstances. That's what I would say, good or bad. And I think that part can be learned. Yeah. Um, what's that's, I'll get my words here. Um, (laughs) I was thinking, I often think, so my definition of resiliency is around um, how one responds in the wake of adversity or challenge. Mm-hmm. That's the first part. The second part to me is, and then um, how do we, what can we learn from that environment and mm-hmm. or that experience? And so for me, I've always had this mindset that resiliency isn't just like, okay, great. I was able to overcome and survive as a kid. It's mm-hmm. like, what did I learn from that? What did right. I learn um, that I, you know, from that, it sort of pushed me and propelled me in a totally different direction because I knew I didn't, I didn't want that as an adult. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there was some innate learning. I think that happened, but, yes. but what I really love what you said, which is why I was like tripping up on my words. Cause I hadn't actually really contemplated it this way. But I think there is something to be said about the process of letting go, Mm. right? Like when I got pregnant with my son, I had so much grief Mm. that I I wasn't going to go to college and that I couldn't be a Rhodes Scholar. And I'd worked so hard to graduate in the top 5% of my class. And the reality was, is I made the choice to have him. And I had to let go of that and grieve that. And mm-hmm. and I think that's actually what helped me mm-hmm. to navigate 
that challenge at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it I freed did, up your energy. Like if you had held uh, on to that, then it kind of just almost drowns you. Yeah. It's really interesting. Um, so I'd love Lisa to hear, how do you think, so it sounds like you think that resiliency can be taught or learned. Um, and maybe part of it is this process of letting go, but how, what, how, how can we teach people or how, how do we learn resiliency or build? I've, I've probably, I've referred to it in my other podcasts as the resiliency muscle. So like, mm-hmm. what does that look like? Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, I think it, it's, um, I think it's developing an understanding too of, um, to, to overcome. Cause when I think of resiliency, I think of like overcoming an obstacle. Yeah. Um, so I also think there's a level of becoming comfortable with that. Um, becoming comfortable with difficulty. Hmm. Um, And so I think that's something that can just be taught in conversation or or by example, like, you know, you, especially as a child, like you watch the adults around you and what do they do? How do they handle obstacles? How do they handle um, when they come up? Um, I also think there's an element in resiliency of um, you have to be willing to do whatever it takes. And, Hmm. And, and so again, sometimes that means giving up things or changing behaviors or, um, you know, someone said to me once with my sickness, they said, you, you were willing to do whatever it took. I mean, no matter what it took, like you were willing to do it. And I imagine that applies, you know, with your education, Mm -hmm. like no matter what it took, you were willing to, to do that. So I think there's a level of, you can teach that commitment. Mm-hmm. to do whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really just, they're kind of like, those two things are really just coping skills for mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And I just, I think, um, you know, I think that our culture is just different today. You know, it's mm-hmm. almost like we expect not to suffer. Yeah. Like the ex- And so when we suffer, we're kind of like, oh, what is this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the truth is like, suffering is the same as laughing. I mean, yeah. it it's comes together. So I also think there's sort of a neutralization that has to happen, you know, that, um, laughing and crying, one is not better than the other, right. but we're just more comfortable with laughing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think kind of learning to become comfortable with crying or comfortable with sadness or mm-hmm. comfortable with fear. I mean, calling out those emotions, just like we call out the ones that we've deemed positive. Mm-hmm. Well, and also having the ability to express your emotions mm-hmm. and, and not maybe uh, like just even verbally. I know sometimes I struggle with being able to identify the emotion that I'm experiencing. Yes. And I, I suspect that's hard for a lot of people. Yes. Well, especially because we as a society are rewarded by being able to just sort of keep going, you know, that mentality of like, keep going mm-hmm. and, oh, I'm fine. Like, look at what I've achieved. And, and it, sometimes it's not really until your circumstances or your situation, you can no longer maintain. You're not necessarily motivated to change. Right. That's interesting. I wrote down um, just a number of different thoughts around, you know, how to teach or possibly practice resiliency. Mm-hmm. Um and and sort so not necessarily verbatim, but like becoming comfortable when things are difficult, learning how to overcome obstacles, sort of doing whatever it takes, whether or not um, 
it feel, I guess, feels good or is hard. Like, you know, they're sacrificing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked how you said teaching commitment because, you know, oftentimes we think of commitment as like loyalty, mm-hmm. commitment to family. Um, but I think that kind of goes back and supports this idea of doing what it takes and mm-hmm. being committed to the outcome again, whether or not it's a positive outcome or not. And I liked the, how you, you, you stated neutralization. I think that's actually really fair. I think that's helped me a lot. Like if I can say something that's helped me, it's the neutralization of circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. I love this. I love this, just this concept and add on to the idea of resiliency around letting go and like neutralization and, and actually just sitting with it, you know? Well, that's what I was going to say to you too. When you were going through things like I can't outrun this, like what's going on with me, there is no escape. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is, there is, there is no way for me to escape it. And that's why when it first came back, I did not have the skills Yeah. and, um, because I had always been able to outrun whatever. And, um, and, and what I've had to do over the years is invite this in yeah. and it just sort of sits like, it just sits right here next to me. And, um, and there, there is no escape from it. Yeah. And that's okay. Well, and I think that happens in a lot of different ways for people. Mm-hmm. But our, and it's like in the struggle where I think we become more resilient, but we mm-hmm. have to allow ourselves to, to your point, like sit with it and invite it in and, and hold the space. I think there's a lot of things people can't outrun. They yeah. just think they can, right. <laughs> you know, but the truth is like, I think we're outrunning a lot less than we think we are. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let me ask you this, Lisa. Mm-hmm. Do you think um, values and resiliency are correlated? It's a really good question. Um, gosh, because that almost makes me think that gets back to the idea of resiliency being intrinsic. Um, they have to be correlated because I feel like your values determine how you're going to implement your resiliency. So you're going to have a natural response to that, you know, kind of what values of yours that are core and then, you know, what values have been learned. But yeah, I would, I would think there definitely would have to be a a correlation. Yeah. It's interesting. I think um, when I, when I first started this podcast, I was like, absolutely. Values are directly correlated to resiliency, um, sort of Pollyanna-ish. And, you know, I, this is, none of this is backed in research. This is my own personal yeah. experience. And, um, and now what I, I think I've changed my perspective on that. And I think that your values allow you to be resilient mm-hmm. or, or, and, or your, or resiliency allow allows you to learn and or practice your values. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think there is a correlation I think it's just a slightly different mindset than where I started from. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, do I think there's a core set of values that make people more resilient? I'm not sure. That's still a question that I have. Mm -hmm. There's certainly a set of values that I have heard in, in my conversations that are sort of um, themes from, from all the individuals. So that's been really interesting. But yeah, it, it is, I, I do think they support each other if I had mm-hmm. to think about it and reframe where I started out. Yeah. Um, but I still always find it a really fascinating question because 
really gets people's brains spinning. Yeah, up. I mean, you really have to think about it. I mean, you really have to think about it. Yeah, I've never thought about that before. Well, and I wonder, so when you think about your own personal values, mm-hmm. and, you know, I think a lot of your values show up just from your personal experiences and, and how you're relating to those around you. I'd love to hear how do your values show up in the work that you're doing in, in your clinical research and, or do they? Well, I would definitely say the um, work ethic piece. Mm -hmm. And I would say maybe the loyalty piece more in the commitment to see a project through or see something through Mm -hmm. come up that way. I don't know if I would say the adventurous piece. Um, My, my job, I used to travel more. Mm -hmm. um, And so obviously I, I can't do that now. So if I wasn't sick, I think the adventurous piece would be showing up more because I, I would have a job where I would be traveling um, probably internationally. And so that part of it would be feel kind of more fulfilled and there would be more, um, you know, kind of interacting face to face and just, um, meeting with people. I mean, like I said, I I meet with, I talk with people all over the world regularly and it would just be more of a face to face interaction. So I think that adventurous piece of it would, um, I would definitely say the work ethic piece. I mean, anybody that, that works, I mean, there's a level of commitment to just Mm -hmm. producing, a good product and giving it your best beyond like the assignment, you know? Mm -hmm. So that part, I've been incredibly fortunate um, with the companies that I've worked for the last two specifically. um, And I definitely feel a very deep loyalty to both of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I am so grateful to have experienced that. I I think that is very, very special, very, very unique. Um, and has been a huge gift to me in my life. Um, and, and just the people that I've worked with, um, I found have formed very close relationships with. So that loyalty piece, um, has, is something that I have definitely experienced in my work. That's great. That's Mm -hmm. great. I'm wondering, um, how, and then when we think about resiliency, right, all of these different, um, ways to learn it, practice it. How do you think um, resiliency shows up as a leader or in your, in your professional life? Well, I think especially in sales, um, you're basically constantly told no. Um, so someone said to me when I first moved into business development, they were like, well, you've just got to be comfortable being told no. Um, so I think it's the ability to keep going when it looks like it might not be fruitful. Um, and just sort of, you know, continuing to find that angle or that opening that, um, you know, is the opportunity or, um, it solves a problem or solves a pain point for a client. Um, but sort of just that continuous engagement, um, you know, it's, it's not a flat experience. Um, it's, it's sort of a a constant dance Mm -hmm. thinking like, okay, could I pull in this person? Like, would this be helpful? Would they want to talk to them? Would this be the thing that flips it over or, you know, asking questions, um, just really listening and asking questions and asking the right questions to get to the core and the root of what, um, of what a client could be looking for. Just that, that continuous push to, to, to see and to keep thinking and to keep being engaged and keep coming up with a solution and just sort of having pride in that. But I want to go back just for a moment because the word just keeps sticking out to me. So this concept of like neutralization, right. Mm -hmm. And how that uh, supports resiliency. If you had to Lisa, how would you help or what would you tell others 
about neutralization and how they themselves can get to that place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think you just through your story and um, what you've been going through over the last number of years, you've gotten to a place where just with this conversation, it feels like that acceptance and the neutralization is, is now a part of your day to day, but how would you, like, what kind of tips would you give others to, to get to that place? Yeah. I think one of the biggest things I've learned is I know nothing. Mm -hmm. And that has, that has really honestly been very life-changing for me. And, you know, we classify things in columns of good and bad based on our own understanding. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's a very limited understanding. And, um, and so that's what I would say to somebody like nobody, nobody would look at my situation and be like, I want that. Like nobody chooses that. And so, you know, when it happened to me, I was like, why is this awful thing happening to me? Mm -hmm. Um, but I think one of the things I've learned is who's to say it's awful. It's Mm -hmm. awful based on, it's awful based on our understanding. Yeah. Um, but what if there's so much more going on that we can't see and we don't know, and it just hasn't played out yet? Like, what if, what if that's actually the case? And so, I mean, that's what I, that's what I think I would say to anybody is, you know, like, we really don't know. We, we almost like a child, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. like when you're a child and you get punished or something gets taken away and it's, everything's so black and white. Yeah. But I just don't think that's how life is. I mean, I think we're sort of programmed that, you know, when you're good or when you go to school or when you work hard, like these things happen. And then when these things don't happen, um, you're, we're like confused mm-hmm. and we don't understand. And, um, but I mean, they're all kind of equal. I mean, me getting sick is really no different than me getting a huge job promotion. It's just that getting the huge job promotion makes me feel good and it gives me affirmation and it makes people say, wow, good job. And I feel like there's a result to my work. Getting sick when I feel like as an adult, I have done everything right, to be perfectly honest with you. Like I have not made poor choices. And I mean, I've tried to be a good person. I haven't been careless. And um, to just continually have these things happen, it's like, totally out of my control. Um, you know, it's real easy to say that's bad, but I think the place that I've come to is, well, what if it's not? Yeah. What if I just don't understand? Hmm. And that has given me peace. Yeah. It's like this concept of, um, like letting go of those things that we were programmed to believe should happen. Right. You know, and leaning in and, and, and that to use your word neutralization and, or like acceptance is another word I might, I might use also. Um, Thank you for that. Yeah. And I would say uh, the more I neutralize things, the more able I'm, I am to show up and engage with them. Yeah. And I think for me, that's, what's been important in all this is staying engaged. And the way that I can stay engaged is just to not see things as good or bad, fair yeah. or not fair, mm. deserved, not deserved. Mm. They just kind of are. I mean, it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I definitely struggle. I mean, I definitely yeah. um, have had some really very difficult times. Yeah. It, but you know what? I, I, I imagine 
not living through something like this myself, it, it's been a journey to get to this place. Absolutely a journey. And that I absolutely, and that's really how I think about it. Yeah, It has absolutely been a journey. It's not one I would have chosen. Right. Um, I can say that multiple times. And like yeah. I said, I'm not at the place where I'm like, Oh, it was all worth it. I mean, you talk to a lot of people and they're like, it was all worth it. Yeah. I don't feel that way. I mean, I kind of feel like mm, I could have done without it, you know? Um, and I get mad. Yeah. I get, I get real mad. I feel real bad for myself a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I appreciate that. And I love that you, you normalized it a little bit as well as like, while you're here it is, it has been a journey and you know, there are still other emotions that creep in. Um, but it's nice to have what I've been impressed with and like, what a story is just how you have been able to find peace with it. Right. And, and, and I, I wrote down this, like, I know nothing, that comment and that quote, because ultimately I think if you, if we can approach certain things from that perspective, then we're not constantly like either jumping on the defense or trying mm-hmm. to solve something or thinking that it should have been one way. And it's now, it looks completely different. So, um, well, and then you waste all that energy Absolutely. and absolutely. being sick. Like I don't, I don't have that kind of energy to waste. You know, I just can't, like I have to conserve my energy so my body can heal. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the turmoil that that creates, I just, I don't have that. I appreciate that. Well, Lisa, I have, um, I have two more questions for you that I'm really curious to hear about. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I mentioned earlier that I'm curious if there is a resiliency quotient. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering, do you think there is a, a resiliency quotient or some type of values equation that make people um, more resilient than others? Gosh, that's hard. Um, I think I would say in the sense of someone's ability to adjust, like if you're someone who just can't adjust Mm -hmm. um, and sort of redirect. Mm -hmm. So I would think people who have a really high ability to kind of adjust Mm -hmm. and move forward in new circumstances Mm -hmm. would fare better than people that can't. Does that answer the question? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no right or wrong answer to that question. Mm-hmm. It's a curiosity question. Mm-hmm. Um, well, my last one is um, similar question, but more more personal. What do you think your resiliency quotient is? So, what do you what do you mean by that? Like my ability to keep going, or why I've been able to keep going? I, I would say the. The, the way I've been able to keep going is um, I, I was able to keep adapting. Mm. I, I kept um, expanding my understanding mm-hmm. of um, the universe mm-hmm. and my place in that. And um, if I had not been able to do that, mm-hmm. I think I would have been done a long time ago, mm-hmm. but I was able to um, change. Mm-hmm. And I was able to continue to um, explore and educate myself and figure out what I believe and what, and what I believe is really going on. I mean, mm-hmm. I think we're all really just on journeys. Mm-hmm. That's the point. And like how we engage in it, like that is the point. The, the point isn't the outcome. It's like, how did you participate? Mm-hmm. 
And I do think, I do think I was able to make that change. I mean, it was, it it has been incredibly, incredibly difficult. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's taken, you know, two and a half, three years. I mean, and I still struggle with it. Yeah. But I do think that is what has made me to be able to be resilient in these circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, honoring the journey, Mm -hmm. right. Um, no matter good or bad and not being so fixated on a particular outcome or what you think the outcome should be. What I think the outcome should be where I've messed up is where I've set timelines or deadlines. Like, okay, if this doesn't happen by now, um, or if this doesn't, um, you know, if this medicine doesn't work, you know, putting these qualifications around things that they, it, to make me feel more in control right? They, and they just don't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, control is, you know, like an optical illusion sometimes. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we, we, we can only control what we can control. Um, so I appreciate, I really liked that. I really like that idea of just honoring the journey and, mm-hmm. you know, stop trying to put constraints around what you think the outcome should be. So mm-hmm. thank you. And I think I would say the acceptance of suffering. I mean, mm-hmm. for me, that has been a big part of it. The more I resist and push back from suffering, yeah. the more that I suffer, the more that I accept it as part of my life as, um, and it, the more it almost becomes neutral. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say, Lisa, I really appreciated, um, as a part of just this idea of resiliency, uh, and I definitely want to give it a little bit more thought as I continue these conversations, but, you know, not just how you react to adversity or how you learn, which is where my initial thoughts around the definition were, but also this, I really, really appreciated your, your concept around um, letting go and and sort of grieving um, what you thought the outcome should be. And, mm-hmm. and having a level of like acceptance around that. I think there's something to be said that that can, that really helps support building one's resiliency muscle. So I, mm-hmm. I loved that. I really appreciated that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I have to say like, thank you for sharing your story and um, having this conversation with me um, and, and, and being vulnerable about, you know, the, your struggles over the last number of years and being sick and, and your perspective on how you continue to keep going. Um, I mean, what a powerful story to share and, and to share with others. I really uh, appreciate your time and, and just loved the conversation. Well, thank you so much for having me. I loved it too. It was, it was wonderful. It was very natural. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, uh, thank you again. And um, just uh, loved our time today, Lisa. I loved it too. It was a great way to to kick off the weekend. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Bye, my friend. Bye-bye. I'm Ashley Carson. Thanks for listening to the Resiliency Theory Podcast. Our journey of learning and my quest to understand resiliency continues. Check out my blog at resiliencytheory.com to continue this conversation. Or if you want to listen to my next podcast, follow me there. If you'd like to connect with me, there are a few ways. You can follow me on my Instagram page at Resiliency Theory or my LinkedIn page at Ashley Smith Carson. 
You can also email me at hello at resiliencytheory.com.